you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6? I'll be reading the teaching passage this morning, which is found in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Well, thank you uh, very much, Mindy. And uh, let's pray as we come now to God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak through your word to your great glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you now to stand as we come to the Bible, and we're looking particularly at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Go ahead and get your Bibles, and keep them open, if you will, because we'll be looking at them. Ephesians 6, and let me underline for us verse 15 in our series, The Armor of God. This is this morning, what we are focusing on goes like this, and as shoes for your feet... Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, Do feel free to uh, take your seats. So as we come uh, to this uh, next in the series about the armor of God, why are we particularly thinking about this piece of the armor, the, uh, the shoes uh, fitted with the redness of the gospel of peace. And uh, my answer to that is that we live in a time that is characteristically um, lacking peace. It is one of the characteristics of our age that we don't have much peace. What are the evidences of that? Well, for instance, it is often said that in America, we are in the midst of a culture war. Uh, and obviously, that's a, that's a lack of peace. Uh, we're very familiar that some people watch one kind of news cable channel, some people watch a different kind of news cable channel. Uh, People live in different domains in the internet, different parts of the internet, and they have different worldviews. 
different approaches to life, different um, principles and ethics, uh, different political commitments, uh, different cultural awareness. We live, it is often said, in a culture war, and recently people are saying that culture war seems to be becoming more evident, more divisive, and all that is a sign that, as I said, one of the, why are we looking at this putting the, uh, the redness of the gospel of peace, putting that on your feet, the shoes fitted with the redness of the gospel of peace. Why are we looking at that? It's because one of the characteristics of our age is a lack of peace. Well, we live in a time of culture war, which is obviously a lack of peace. Another evidence of that, though, is more personal. Psychologists uh, across the country um, are, are, are unanimous in their view that there is more and more personal anxiety that uh, particularly the rising generation, millennials, Gen Z, but actually all um, generations, are feeling increasingly, increasingly anxious. There's a lack of peace in that regard as well. Uh, our counselors have never been busier there's a lack of peace. And it's not just something out there. When we did a survey of our congregation uh, just a couple of years ago and we asked everyone what are some of the main things they find that they struggle with, at the top of the list, at least in the top three, was anxiety. It's a lack of peace. A feeling of anxiety. Worry. And that, of course, is, is partly why in that much lampooned phrase, that joked-about phrase, people are looking for safe space. And we can joke about that and tease people about that, but the reality is it's a sign that people feel a lack of peace and are looking for a place of security and safety. And they don't feel they have it. Uh, 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 and then in, in the Chicago suburbs where we live, um, it's very obvious, obviously I have a family, so I'm aware of this, and those of us who have families are aware of this, that there's huge pressure on families and on their schedules and on whether your children, our children, are going to do as well as they could do. And... They must be in the right sports club, and they must be in the right team in the right sports club, and they must go to the right school, and they must get the right grades, and they must, or they must be homeschooled and get the right grades, and, and they must, and they must, and there's this pressure on everyone's schedules, so everyone feels extraordinarily busy. It's a lack of peace. So as I say, it seems, you know, why are we thinking about this? It's because a predominant characteristic of our age is a lack of peace. Now, of course, the question is, what's behind that? These are, these are evidences. They're symptomatic of something. But they're symptomatic of, of what? Jacques Ellul, who was a French philosopher, um, in the 20th uh, century, 
um, Jacques Ellul used to say that when you're analyzing what's going on, you need to not only look at the current events, what's happening in the news, what are the latest issue is that everyone's talking about, not only the current events, but you should look at the main event. What's the mainstream? What's, what's, what's pushing all these other relatively superficial things? What's underneath it? And for many people, the answer to that question today is that we live in an informational age. We live in an age of great technological change where we're constantly being bombarded by information all the time and different competing values and competing ideas. And that creates a disturbance, a lack of peace, and certainly something to that. Uh, uh, We looked at that a few weeks ago, uh, but as another piece of data about that, um, it is estimated that every day... 95 million pictures are uploaded to Instagram every day. That's a huge amount of being bombarded with different kinds of information, ideas, thoughts, images. And of course, the informational age itself is increasingly visual rather than verbal. And the visual tends to stimulate an emotive response without generating a rationalization about what that emotive response is, which itself tends to generate a disturbance and insecurity and anxiety because you feel something, but you haven't analyzed whether you should feel it or whether that's the right response. And and so so one way to say what's the main event behind this is this informational age, which is bombarding us with more and more visual data and, and somewhat simplistic ideas that tend towards division and divisiveness and anxiety and, and busyness and disturbance and a lack of peace. But though there is something to that as Christians, those of us who are Christians here this morning, we need to think a little bit deeper than that and actually ask ourselves whether there's something a little deeper going on. And the answer is that there is. And according to this passage and according to the Bible's teaching, what's really going on is spiritual war. We are involved in a spiritual battle, a spiritual combat. And all these other things are symptomatic of a, of a deeper main event which is a spiritual war. And, and one, of the, one of the reasons why the church in the West has become so weak is because we've gone into the habit of analyzing everything by psychological means, management means, structural means, and not spiritual means. Of course, there are insights we can gain from psychology and management, leadership and structural, sociological. All that is legitimate. But there's a deeper issue going on. That's a spiritual battle. And once we realize that, of course, what that means is, as Christians, then we move away from fear. Because that's, when we say we're lacking peace, what's really going on is the anxiousness of fear. That is, but once we realize it's a spiritual war, we move away from fear. Why? Because, as Paul teaches here in this letter, over, uh, in, this, in this passage over and over again, uh, Jesus has won that spiritual victory. 
Uh, you can see that in the tenses in this passage. He, he uses uh, the, the past tense, the aorist tense, uh, predominantly here. And there are only uh, a couple of times that he uses the imperative. Uh, most of it is in the past tense. So he says here, uh, verse 15, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. This is a aorist, past tense. It's something that has happened. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, all these are things that are about the past. The aorist, which is the tense of completed action, it's something that is done because it's reflecting what Jesus has done on the cross when he won the victory over the principalities and powers and forces of this dark world. And so Paul, in the letter to the Colossians, he says there that God made a public spectacle over these principalities and powers, disarming them, defeating them by the cross. And so as Christians, we are not told to flee the devil. We are told to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And that, the fact that Jesus has won the victory over the spiritual forces of darkness in this world means that we as Christians move away from fear to faith, away from being frightened to being confident. Why? Because the real issue is not technological change. The real issue is not cultural conflict. The real issue is a spiritual war, and it's a spiritual war over which Jesus is victorious. And therefore, in Him, we have nothing to be frightened about. If you're not frightened of demons... Why would be frightened about who someone votes for? If you're not frightened of the devil, why you be frightened about whatever the latest law that has been passed? You, you move from fear to faith because you realize that we are in a spiritual war over which our captain has already defeated the enemy. And now all we need to do is stand firm in the victory that he has won. So all this is to evidence why we need to think about this matter of the gospel of peace. Well, what is it then that Paul is teaching here about this shoes for your feet and putting on the redness by the gospel of peace? Let me give it to you in a sentence and uh, then I'll explain how I get there. So here is uh, the sentence, effective spiritual combat requires personal spiritual security that is produced by believing, receiving, and proclaiming the gospel. Effective spiritual combat requires personal spiritual security and that is produced by, derived from, believing, receiving, and proclaiming the gospel. Let me show you how I, how I get there from this passage. Uh, first of all, as we look into it, it's important that we get the picture right. Paul here is obviously using a metaphor. He's speaking in picture language. 
When he says, put on the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, he's not literally saying, put on some physical shoes. He's using picture language. He's using metaphor language, so metaphorical language. So what is the picture that he has in mind that he wants you to have in your mind? Uh, scholars agree that Paul is referring here to the Roman half-boots, the, the caliga. And the Roman half-boot, which is on the, on the screen uh, right there, um, doesn't to us look particularly impressive. It looks like he's wearing a pair of sandals and doesn't look like much like a Roman, it doesn't look like a military uh, piece of hardware particularly. But what you've got to understand about this uh, Roman military boot is it was designed to give stability and mobility to the soldiers, stability and therefore mobility to the soldiers. So the Roman military machine learnt from Alexander the Great's stupendous victories throughout the ancient world, and Alexander the Great was victorious to a large extent because his soldiers were both stable and able, therefore, to move quickly at pace in unexpected ways. They had stability and mobility, and they surprised those they're fighting against by the way they were able to move the the phalanx, the different parts of their military machine, very quickly. And the Roman soldiers equipped, the Roman military machine, therefore, equipped their soldiers with a particular piece of equipment on their feet that gave them both stability and also mobility. And the, these Caliga half boots were uh, wrapped around and tied onto the feet in a stable way. They were designed not to rub against the different parts of the feet. Uh, there was some air flow so they didn't get fungus growing up as, uh, as, as soldiers. And then in cold climates, they would have a particular kind of sock that they put on inside the boot. But then on the, on the base of the boot, on the, on the sole of the shoe, there were nails hammered in, hobnails, so that a bit like cleats on a football boot, they were particularly stable. And you think in ancient warfare was almost always hand-to-hand combat, and if you slipped, you were dead. And they had a particular stability, and because of that stability, they were able to move, they had mobility, able to move um, fast as well. So that, that's the picture that you have in your mind of this stability and therefore mobility. What then about the readiness? What does he mean by the readiness? The readiness simply means get ready. It means preparedness. And so in Acts chapter 23, the same word is used of, uh, the, uh, the, uh, of uh, the command given to two centurions to get their forces ready, to get them ready, to get prepared. That's what he means by readiness. It means get ready. And not only um, uh, there in, in spiritual terms in Luke chapter 1, we are told that John the Baptist uh, uh, um, a task was to get the people ready to hear from Jesus, so when, to, to hear and, and encounter Jesus. So when Paul says here, the readiness of the gospel of peace, what he's saying is, get ready. In other words, don't, don't be the kind of people who are asleep on your bed 
and lounging around and assuming that everything's going to be fine. You don't need to do anything. No, you've got to get, you've got to get ready. You've got to be ready for the fight. Get ready. What then about this um, gospel of peace here? So in the phrase we have, we have uh, the shoes for your feet, which are the caliga with the, the stability and mobility on them that allowed you to stand fast and then to move quickly. And then you have the redness, which is the being prepared, get ready for the fight that's coming. Don't be kind of lounging around on the, on the couch, but be, be ready and prepared. Uh, don't assume that everything's going to be fine. You've got to be ready for the fight. And then you have the gospel with what? With, with the redness given by the gospel of peace. What does he mean by that? Well, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about that down through the years by scholars and teachers and pastors. Uh, basically, the, the discussion is centered around whether this gospel of peace with which we get ready is here intended to be either subjective or objective. And that's the way that the conversation is usually held in the commentaries when you listen to sermons about it. I don't think that way of describing it is the most helpful. It's a little confusing that way. But I, I indicate for you those two ways of thinking about it, subjective or objective, because if you listen to other sermons or if you read books about it, they'll probably use those phrases, whether it's subjective or objective. And there are people who have lined up on either side of the interpretation. So that some people say it's subjective in the sense that what Paul here means is you get ready, you have the stability and mobility spiritually to be ready for the spiritual combat by the gospel of peace subjectively. In other words, you apply it to yourself. You apply the truth to yourself. You know who you are in Christ subjectively, you know you're a Christian, you know you're saved, you know you're justified by faith, and therefore now you're ready for the combat. And there's a lot of uh, teachers, Bible teachers, who will say that's what it means. On the other side, there are the other Bible teachers who will say, no, it's objective. That is, what Paul is saying is you get ready for the spiritual fight fundamentally, essentially, by doing evangelism. So, um, Romans uh, chapter 10, Paul uh, quotes uh, the book of Isaiah when he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news. The feet are ready in the sense of now we're ready to do evangelism. So in that sense, then the application would be of this text, get ready, tell your friends about Jesus, invite them to church next Sunday, do an evangelistic Bible study, take your friend to Christianity Explored, Take your business uh, uh, friend to the, the Thursday lunchtime. Get ready. Do some evangelism. That would be the application. So one is subjective, applying to yourself. The other is objective. Go out there and tell the truth about Jesus objectively to a non-Christian world. So which, which is it? And of course, then there are some who's, who say it's, well, they just say it's both. I, I don't know whether that's because they just don't want to offend anyone or because they think it's genuinely both. It could well be both. But how do you decide? And the answer is, there's no way of deciding purely from the grammar of this text. And so then what people tend to do is they they bring in their theology from other parts of the Bible, or they bring in their own personal inclinations or their, their sense of what's strategic, and they interpret the text through that. So then the question is that you have is, uh, I presume, uh, what do I think? And whether you're asking that question or not, I'm going to tell you. You can laugh at that moment if you like, just to remind me that you're still here. That'd be fine. 
Uh, and then, so, the, the, I think the way to interpret this gospel of peace is through the way that Paul has already used that phrase in the letter to the Ephesians. And once you see it that way, the readiness, the preparedness, the stability and the mobility that we need to have becomes crystal clear. So if you look with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and from verses 13 to 17, you'll see what I think Paul is saying. So here, uh, verse 13 of chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's, of course, uh, a, uh, one way of summarizing the gospel. Then verse 14, for he himself is our peace. There's that word, peace. Who has made us both one, that is uh, both the Jew and the Gentile, all nations now in Christ are one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that dividing wall of hostility between sinners and God, and therefore the hostility between uh, Jew and all the other races. How? Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, uh, that, that is, all the ceremonial law of the Old Testament that, that created this dividing wall between those who were religiously Jewish and those who were not religiously Jewish. All that is abolished in Christ because He's fulfilled the law. So by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, here we go, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God, both as it, Jew and Gentile, all races, now reconciled to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That is, all the, the um, lack of peace. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, uh, that is, to the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, that is, the, the, the Jewish people. So the, the question is, when Paul is saying, um, get ready for the spiritual combat by putting on these shoes, these shoes of the gospel of peace. What does he mean? And some people say, well, he means it subjectively, that is, you're applying it to your own spiritual life. Other people say he means it objectively, that is, you're to take the gospel out there to the world around. And the answer to that is yes, both, but yet more. <laughs> so what Paul is saying is that the gospel of peace reconciles us to God puts our hearts at peace, therefore, internally, generates a community of all races and kinds who are united around Christ, and that community then takes that gospel to those who are far away. Uh, originally, of course, to the Gentiles, but to the mission work of the church, to evangelism and discipleship. In other words, in our summary sentence, effective spiritual combat requires personal spiritual security, and that is derived from believing and receiving and proclaiming the gospel of peace. You say, okay, fine, but how do I put that into practice? What does that mean uh, very practically? Let me explain that to you in uh, some very simple uh, very simple ways. So it means something uh, uh, about the vertical, 
about the internal, about the communal, and about the external. So in terms of the vertical, it begins with peace that we have with God. This is our status. You will not be able to have effective spiritual combat. You will not be able to find genuine peace. You will not be able to find real personal security until you have that peace with God. And that comes through the work of Jesus on the cross, His blood, who reconciles us to God, kills the hostility, brings us into a new relationship with Him. It all starts with the vertical. But then the internal, our conscience, so our status before God, our conscience is given by God to speak to us when we're doing something wrong and when we're doing something right, to be an internal antenna of where we are morally, and that conscience is marred and imperfect. Sometimes it, it flags wrong when really it should flag correct, and sometimes it flags right when really it should flag wrong, which is why it's so dangerous to say, I'm doing this because it feels right. Well, it may feel right, but it may actually be wrong. On the other hand, some people have an overly sensitive conscience and they feel that something is wrong when actually it's perfectly legitimate to do. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that you, we, come under the preaching of God's Word as regularly as we can so that our conscience, our internal antenna, is brought back into line with what is true. So what we feel to be true is true. What we feel to be right is right. But we're not going to have that personal spiritual security until our conscience witnesses to us that we're at peace with God. And that means when we're convicted by God's Spirit of something that is wrong, going to God and confessing our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to restore that sense of fellowship that we have with God by status, our vertical, in our experience, internal. And then we have the stability. You see, you're not going to be active in spiritual work. You're not going to be active in evangelism. You're not going to be active in ministry to others if internally you're all anxious, insecure, and uncertain. And so you need to come under God's Word, you need to apply the truth, you need to confess your sins to God so that the internal reality is brought closer to the vertical reality, your status, your status, as I think they say on this side of the Atlantic, your status, is connected with the experiential reality. So it's vertical, it's internal, but then it's also communal, which is Paul's great emphasis in Ephesians. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's created one man out of two so that Jew and Gentile, those who are near and those who are far away, so people of different races, different classes, are now in one family. So it's communal. And then because of that, and as a result of that, and along with that, it's external. We're proclaiming the gospel for those who are not only near, but those who are far away. 
And all that is putting on the gospel of peace with shoes fitter of that readiness. Now we're stable because of our status, because of our internal connection to that status experientially, because we're part of a family that is a gospel family. And now we're looking out and we're looking to bring people in, reach out to people where we have the stability and therefore we have the mobility to try new things. You know, one of the signs that people don't have uh, put on the gospel of peace is because it's when they get stuck. They get stuck in like uh, an old methodology, an old way of doing things because they don't have the stability in Christ to be flexible, to do what needs to be done to reach someone. On the other hand, someone who doesn't have the stability of the gospel becomes unstuck. They slip doctrinally. We need the stability and the truth of the gospel so we can be flexible where we should be flexible and inflexible where we should be inflexible. And all that comes putting on these shoes of the gospel of peace so that our, sh- sh- our feet are fitted with that redness. We have that stability that comes from those boots with those nails hammered into them that gives us, I'm, I'm able to be stable, I'm stable, I'm prepared, I'm ready. And now I have effective, we have effective spiritual combat. Effective spiritual combat requires personal spiritual security and it's derived from believing, receiving, and proclaiming the gospel. Well, friends, let's bow our heads and pray together. Let's take a moment, uh, first of all, to, in our own minds and hearts, to put on those gospel shoes. First vertical, justified by faith, we have peace with God. Then internal, we rejoice even in our sufferings because we have peace with God. Then communal, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to be united as one body, in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then external. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord Jesus, help us to put on these gospel shoes so that we know who we are in you and can be active in telling others about you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.